You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hanging out with the family over the holidays reminded me that, in fact, there are people out there who think about more than just climbing. Some even think that climbing is ridiculous. Though watching large men kicking and throwing a ball and trying to hurt one another is a completely reasonable use of your time. Go figure. But just in case non-climbing activities have invaded your psyche, but you still want to do, not just watch, remember that in addition to making the best rock climbing, ice climbing, and mountaineering boots on the planet, Sportiva also designs the fastest uphill ski gear around. We're talking cyborg-level tech on skis and boots. And then there's Sportiva's trail runners, mid-weight alpine boots, and hiking boots for the long approach to nowhere that suddenly seems like a good idea in the dark winter months when the balmy rock is unavailable, but lots of delicious sweets are. So whether you're dreaming about climbing or just trying to go nowhere fast, think of Sportiva for all your mountain pursuits. Go to Sportiva.com or your local shop to drink in the possibilities. And hey, the redesigned TC Pro is over there too. Did you know that those two little lines on the cuff are the Dawnwall and Freerider topos? So adorable. Greetings. This is a message from Dr. Alan Honlove of the Good Catch Institute. The weather is getting colder, and you're still desperately one-hanging your fall project. Or maybe you've decided to do something easier, but more miserable, like ice climbing. Isn't it time to renew your commitment to your belayer with something more than an occasional high-five? Good Catch is here to help you reinvigorate the foundation of what brought you and your belayer together in the first place. Our expert staff here at Good Catch suggests that you create a safe, warm space for your belayer with the belay parka and stance belay pants combo from our friends at Black Diamond Equipment. The BD belay parka features two layers of insulation, a two-way zipper for wrapping that belay device, and huge internal pockets where your belayer can keep your shoes warm for your next go. The stance belay pants bring the heat with side zips to get in and out even with crampons on. Being wrapped in the BD belay parka and stance belay pants create the feeling of a warm hug from a trusted loved one without the actual human touch that might, you know, give your belayer the wrong idea. But nothing says, Uh, dude, I'm just going to try this part one more time. Like some bomber insulated outerwear from Black Diamond Equipment. Check it all out at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. And remember, if you are cold... They're freezing their ass off. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the EnormaCast. And now back to the show. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Galus. It is about 10 o'clock on January 3rd, 2022. And this is episode 233 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Bradley Chum Carter, better known as Chum, musician, journeyman, climber, and a friend of mine, which is kind of strange because we had never met until we sat down to do this interview. At least we'd never met in person. And yet I considered him a friend and still do. We had communicated for years via emails, texts, Instagram messaging, that kind of thing. Maybe that's a feel-good story. The internet, you know? Getting to be friends over the internet before we ever met. But guess what happened last month and I didn't even notice until someone emailed me. Thank you for that email to remind me that uh, the, the Enormacast hit its 10th anniversary last month. I started this thing, I believe I posted the very first episode on December 11th, 2011, or December 12th, December 13th, somewhere around there during 2011. So that was 10 years ago last month, and I forgot all about it until someone sent me an email and congratulated me on 10 years of the Enormacast, which is pretty wild. I've uh, I've put out two of these things a month, almost, for 10 years. I think I'm like six off that pace after 10 years. Wow, when you put it that way, it makes me tired. Anyway, thanks for listening for all this time. Maybe some of you that tuned in in December of 2011 are still listening. I, I hope so. Or at least you're occasionally dropping in. I mean, who listens to every single one? I am celebrating by having a michelada that I made in my kitchen, a midwinter michelada. Are you guys into micheladas? The uh, the sort of um, tomato and beer concoction, Mexican style. I love them. I can't get enough of them. I know a lot of people are turned off by the clam juice, the clamato, having clam juice. Where the clam juice comes from is something you don't really want to do a a mental picture of. I always think it's like dudes just squeezing them and like the juice drips out of their hands into a vat. That's That's what I like to think. I don't know where the juice comes from. I'm sure it's some large clam juicing machine. <laughs> Anyhow, there's clam juice in there, but I love them. I can't get enough of them. I'm, I'm working on my own recipe. Um, I'm trying different things. A lot, a lot of lime juice, uh, a lot of vitamin C in there. So I think it's a good mid, midwinter drink. Tomato juice, vitamin C, and not even that much beer, actually. When you get it all in the cup, you actually put, uh, I don't know, probably like a half a beer in for a pint. So anyhow, micheladas, 10th anniversary. Thanks for being here. Some of you for 10 years, some of you showing up recently, maybe going back and hitting the back catalog. It's sort of a podcast thing to keep your numbers under wraps. You know, bray on about uh, how many people are and in most cases are not listening to your podcast. But I'll just drop this right here. We've uh, we've almost hit eight and a half million total downloads. Actually, we probably have hit it because we didn't have the statistics going um, for the first year. So those were probably... You know, I, I don't know how many I did the first year, but anyway, we're right there. I mean, those numbers are like a day in the life of the uh, the Fear Factor guy there down in Texas. But you know, for a Nietzsche little podcast, a Nietzsche little climbing podcast, not a Nietzsche podcast, a Nietzsche podcast would be an entirely different thing. <laughs> I'd be on that podcast. I'd go on the Nietzsche podcast. But anyway, my niche podcast, I think it's pretty cool. And... Imagine if I had a buck for every one of those. It's easy to do the math. I'd have eight and a half million dollars. <laughs> Except I probably would have stopped doing it at about, I don't know, 
couple hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> at least at a million. I'd have been like, all right, I got my million. Fuck this shit. I'm out. So maybe it's a good thing. I've had to scrap for every penny. Anyhow, thanks again for the support, for checking it out, for listening, for continuing to listen. Numbers are, are great. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of wild. I mean, I didn't think that would happen when I, uh, when I first put the mics on and talked to Lisa Hathaway about doing a podcast. What's a podcast? Well, you'll find out in a few years, but let's just do it anyway. Cheers. Ah, salty, delicious, clammy. Okay, on today's show, we've got sort of a, a, a nice sit down, a nice um, chat today. Uh, with with Bradley Chum Carter, and uh, he's known to all of his friends as Chum. He is a musician, a very impressive musician. And uh, what I've done with this podcast is I've, I've very liberally sprinkled a bunch of his music through the episode, kind of, um, I don't know, NPR style. I just kind of impromptu little sections of music here and there. I hope I wasn't overindulgent with that, but I, I put a lot in because he's got so many different styles of music. Chum is is a multi-instrumentalist on stringed instruments. I believe he plays a little trumpet too. Um, I don't know if he picks that thing up much anymore, but he plays uh, all different styles of music as well from mainly maybe old time and bluegrass is kind of his, his deep love, but uh, plays rock and roll, plays classical um, does a lot of things. And the interesting thing about Chum, and, and he, he sets me straight in the interview, is that he started playing in earnest quite late in life, in his 30s, which I've always found is a very big barrier. It's a big barrier for adults who have lives and maybe families and careers and jobs and things to pick up an instrument and master it. And though Chum will blush when I say he's mastered any of this, because any musician, you know, Maybe short of Yo-Yo Ma, we'll we'll uh, we'll say they're they're still working on it, you know. But um, when you hear his music, you're going to be pretty impressed. And uh, yeah, he started late in life, and I think that uh, life throws a lot of curves that don't allow you to practice the way you could when you're a kid or as I was a teenager playing guitar, um, and just being able to sit in your your room and play for hours and hours because you don't have a job and someone gives you your food and takes care of you. So anyway, that that was kind of the impetus for finally sitting down because I've been following Chum's music. He's contributed to The Run Out. Um, he's contributed to all sorts of climbing movies, which we get into here. Um, but he's also, you know, an excellent climber and spent, uh, you know, a solid decade, decade and a half just pursuing climbing. And though he was never a famous climber, he's uh, a solid climber. Spent some time on SAR, climbed all over the country, um, was an early Waco guy, was a very early guy in Tennessee, so we get some Southeast love here in this episode, but but also still a little bit of an everyman. But it was also just a fun chat. We are about the same age, and so we, we get in a little bit of that and a um, little bit of what climbing means to us and also how the music fits in and actually doesn't fit in with climbing, which um, I think we've talked about on here before. But as you guys know, I'm a musician. Or actually, I like to say I'm a player because I can play the guitar. I can play the bass. I don't really know that much about the musical side of it. But it's always fun to talk to someone who actually does. And I'm always impressed and in awe. And I think you will be too when you guys hear some of the cuts I put into the episode here. So with that said, happy anniversary to me. Enjoy this interview with Bradley Carter. 
And uh, if you want to find out more about his music, I will try to put links on uh, the website post to at least the tracks that I played here. They're all over the place in uh, Apple Music, in Spotify, on Bandcamp, on YouTube. But if you go to Spotify, is a good place to start. He's under chum-dm3. He's also over at YouTube on chum-dm3. And there's a lot of stuff over there to get you started. Thanks again for sticking with me for 10 years. Or even just showing up for this episode with Bradley Chum Carter. syndrome because of the level of climbers that you get on here but you know yeah but i've had a bunch of chumps on too so (laughs) (laughs) but no chums yet (laughs) no chums (laughs) i don't know there's just another angle and that's that's what we're here for i mean you know how i I roll it's like it's not just about talking about how hard everybody climbs sure sure yeah so i don't know if that's a cool place to start but um why don't you pick up what you just said you were like Oh, I talking about play, chess. Yeah, I learned to play chess in Waco. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, did you ever go to Waco? No, I've never been. Oh man, I know. Well, for starters, you and I have been climbing exactly the same amount of time, right? Really? I started in '91. Okay. And you did too. I think. well '89 actually. Oh, you I got, got me. I, I got you, you got a little me. bit. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> August, literally, like I know it was August of 1989. Okay. It was well, the I, very first time I climbed because it was the very first day I, I got to the dorms in Colorado State. So. Right. Well, that was the first place that I actually did climb hmm. was uh, the tropics. Mm-hmm. Remember the tropics? Yeah, of course. It's gone now. Yeah, yeah. It got buried. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first place I ever I ever went climbing. Yeah. So I feel like I was really lucky that I got to experience Waco before the the popularity or the... You know, the closure that happened, I mm-hmm. guess, was 98. You know, they they laid down these sort of draconian bands. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might have banned climbing entirely. I can't remember exactly. God, was it did. that long ago? It was 98, yeah. Because huh. my last season there was 97. Used to go down there, just spend the winter. <laughs> Should I get her off? No, I don't care. Okay. Our cat is threatening Threatening the, the whole system, yeah, that's okay. Threatening to hit pause. Anyway, um, yeah, so to like kill time at night, you know, there's nothing to do in the dead of winter in the desert down there, and we would play chess. Nobody knew what the hell they were doing. Nobody knew how to, to play. I remember I played somebody who actually kind of knew what they were doing, and they just would obliterate you immediately, you know? Because if you don't know the basics of chess, then you're just going to lose right away to somebody who knows right, even knows. the most basic stuff they're going to kill you and ever since that time i've always been curious about it and i never i never got into it until the last year 
But it wasn't the Queen's Gambit, I got to say. I mean, I did like it, but I got into it because I got sick this year. So so it was good to like kill time. So when you're like into it, what's going on? You playing online? Are you, oh, man. Are you like reading books? Are you figuring out defenses? Are you... Well, like chess kind of blew up this last year because of one, the pandemic and also the Queen's Gambit. So between those two things, chess just exploded. I don't know if you're familiar with Twitch. Do you know what Twitch is? Mm -hmm. So like there's Twitch is um, most popular game is chess, I think. And I think it's because of the pandemic. And so there's all these streamers that um, that produce content on Twitch and then they like upload it onto YouTube and a lot of it's educational. Mm -hmm. So some of it's really awesome too, like entertaining and, and super helpful. Yeah. So I just dug into all that. So studying openings, studying tactics, studying in-game stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. Chess is hard. I would say I'm like at a five, seven level. Right. (laughs) My rating on chess.com is like 900 for rapid, which is like five, seven. So like Magnus Carlsen, who's like the world champion, he's rated like 2,800, 2,900, which is like obviously 515. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as you get higher, he's a super master. Super. He's like Adam Under or somebody. Right, he's right. phenomenal. Is there personalities in chess like that? Oh, yeah. It, that's one of the reasons that it's kind of hooked me too. There's, it's, the subculture is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. It's fun. I enjoy it. But I kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's frustrating. Well, I mean, it's also, it's like anything learning, you know, something later in life. It's like, you know, I mean, even even learning it, to play an instrument, you know, I know, know so many people that struggle, like, they're, I'm going to learn how to play guitar, and they're like 40-something or whatever. And yeah, it's hard. You just struggle because it's, life is busy, and, you know, learning, I'm just lucky, you know, speaking of, like, being fortunate that I learned how to play when I was a teenager, and I was like... You know, I could sit in my room for five hours. How to play guitar. Yeah, how to play guitar, not chess, no. Yeah. But I like, actually yeah. didn't start guitar till I was 30. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, 29. Were you a musician otherwise? I mean, I was a hack. Okay. Like, I could play some Dave Matthews licks. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> I guess it's kind of embarrassing to say that right. publicly. No, but fine. <laughs> Dave Matthews' music has not aged well, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, you know, he almost ran me over when I lived in Seattle. Really? Yes. We lived in the same neighborhood, and one time I was riding my bicycle through an intersection, and I came around a car that was trying to turn left, and I just like quickly just went around this car, and a car was turning left and didn't see me. It was you know turning left across traffic, right. and that car almost hit me, and I, you know, I I was really close to the driver, and. I looked, you know, as I was almost getting hit, and it was Dave Matthews. Hmm. And he, he just had, like, the most, like, what the hell are you doing look on his face. Was it uh, was it famous Dave Matthews or pre-famous Dave uh, Matthews? Yeah, he was, he was definitely famous. Oh, man, point. it could I mean, have worked out really like, good to get hit by him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a new fiddle player, Mr. Yeah. Matthews? Yeah, right. <laughs> so you didn't learn how to play until later in life. So yeah, you're, totally. you're the exception to my rule. Well, I, I have a lot of, I've had a lot of luck uh-huh. when it comes to amount of practice time. A lot of adults just wouldn't have had the practice time that I've had. So. Oh, yeah? Why is that? <laughs> I'm pointing <laughs> to you, my wife who supported me. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely, kept man. she pr- provided a lot of support to mm-hmm. let me practice as much as that. Mm-hmm. I have. 
as I have. So. Why'd you get into that? Oh, man. We got to go back, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I started climbing when I was 19, mm-hmm. and I thought climbing was it, you know? I thought, this is it. Right. This is all I'm doing. Right. This is the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, basically, until 34. But the whole time I was climbing, you know, like, there was always this nagging, sort of a nagging feeling that I should be doing something else. Mm-hmm being creative, you know? Like, when I was climbing, I I would try to write stories about climbing, but I was not very good at it, and I just didn't have a, another creative outlet. And so until music came along, I didn't have that outlet. Then once music came along, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is the outlet that, I sh- that I've been looking for. Right. So what is your climbing? You, you, so you're, you're talking about, like, a dedicated... Sounds like decade at least. Oh yeah, very to fully. like full on road life, full on. You were on SAR, is that right? Full on, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I started, you know, around the same time you did, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you started for the same reason that I did, but the counterculture of climbing back then mm-hmm. was was a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Maybe is that the right word? Yeah, I yeah, for sure. Like it was so. Like, it was just weird mm-hmm. to go, to say, I'm going to be a rock climber in 1991. Yeah. Especially in Tennessee. Like, there just weren't that many people doing it. And I started climbing in Knoxville. And, geez, I mean, Chattanooga had probably, like, a fair number of climbers. But Knoxville was, like, a total backwater for climbing. It was just developing there. And so, oh, geez, I mean, you know, to say... Yeah, I'm a rock climber. People just like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what does that mean? I mean, it it alienated me from my family, right? You know, like they didn't get it. Right. Nobody in my family got it. They're just like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, it's totally mainstream now, but I think a lot of people are probably climbing these days to sort of have that alternate path outside of the capitalist machine that we're stuck in. And, right. you know, I recognized that right away back then. And, you know, reading the stories from John Long and Chris Jones and Trenard and whoever else, Royal Robbins, you know, you read those stories and you're just hooked, you know, like, I want that. Yeah. I want, I want that alternate lifestyle. You know? Well, it's interesting because you, you look at the Southeast and, and I think we're talking about the nineties, eighties, nineties, things like that. And, and we're sitting in Boulder now. And so we're here among the mountains and we're here yeah. where a lot of that lore was, um, Totally. Was invented, right? I never thought I'd live in Boulder, but yeah. And so like whatever was going on climbing wise in the Southeast, you know, it was going on and there's going to be people like, oh yeah, there's, you know, these crags and people have been climbing, but it was super deep inside sub, sub, subculture climbing because the deal is, is that in a, if it was in 90, 91, you know, sport climbing hadn't arrived. No. It hadn't arrived 
almost at all no. anywhere in the states. It just started when I started. Yeah. Glenn Ritter basically single-handedly brought sport climbing to Tennessee. I mean, like Jerry, I guess there were some at least to Knoxville. Right. Um but yeah, you're right. Like it was just getting going. Yeah. And so I mean, all these places that seem like they've been there forever in in the southeast is it, it none of that was there and it wasn't even being conceived of because you can't you know the cracks certainly in the red some of them had probably even been climbed by then but you know they're few and far between and all those faces in between like that was people weren't even considering climbing stuff that was that steep without any places to put gear you know totally well when i started in knoxville there was obed hadn't been discovered i don't have right. you ever been to obed Mm-mm. Well, Obed is like the big, the biggest climbing area to Knoxville, I think, and the be- certainly the best. It's not the closest, but it's the best. And it hadn't, or rediscovered, I should say. Some old timers put up some roots in like the seventies or eighties, but like just a couple trad roots. Like it hadn't really been developed. And then um, Glenn Ritter, Tony Robinson, kind of rediscovered it on a paddling trip. And their minds were blown and they were, Glenn was trying to sort of follow Doug Reed's lead in bringing sport climbing to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Doug Reed was bolting, you know, the new river gorge, little river gorge. And so Glenn wanted to do the same thing at Obed. So he kind of like single-handedly like dragged East Tennessee climbing into existence, really. Um, he built a climbing wall at the University of Tennessee yeah, he did so much for climbing around East Tennessee. And I think you could count on like two hands the number of climbers in East Tennessee in 1991. There just was not many people. Right, right, yeah. So it felt cool to be part of such a small, tiny little clique, you know. And mm-hmm. like we we're doing this weird, totally unique thing, going to really remote places. Like in 1991, to go to Obed, oh my gosh, it was like going back in time 30 years. Sure. Because that... It was just so undeveloped. It's still, to this day, very undeveloped. But back then, I mean, you, you were really going back there. Yeah. Um, so, And I had a lot of pride, I think, you know, like coming up in such a small little clique of climbing, such a small subset of a subset. I had a lot of pride, you know, as like a Knoxville Obed climber, you mm-hmm. know. And then to go out and climb at other areas, you know, to go to T-Wall was a big deal. Then to go to North Carolina was an even bigger deal. Then to go to the New was a bigger deal. And then finally, my first, I think within a year, I took a road trip to uh, to Colorado. And we mm-hmm. climbed the Petit Grapon and Hallett Peak and nearly died on both of them. Got benighted on the Petit Grapon, froze. Did, I was wearing cotton you know, we started climbing at noon. We had no idea what we were doing. Totally lucky. And my partner at the time was a guy named John Seitz. Do you know John Seitz? No, I don't. He uh, lives in Silverton, Colorado now. And he's lived there for, I guess, 25 years. He's He's been living in Colorado a long time. But he was my main climbing partner for like the first five years that I started. And he was just down for adventure. You know, so he kind of like was always pushing us, yeah, this will be an amazing adventure. And so when we started, you know, adventure was first and athleticism was second. And um, we we definitely partied a lot too. So it was the whole, you know, just like wild counterculture side of climbing was was what we were after at first. Yeah, I mean, that's what it, that's just really all it was. That's all climbing was. Because without sport climbing, 
and you know and then bouldering was still this thing that you did mostly as something you know just because you couldn't go climbing climbing you know, it, it had come up. I mean, there was definitely like a horse tooth was there and John Gill had made his mark and there was Sherman was around and there was things going on in Waco, but it wasn't in the full on zeitgeist the way it is now. And even in for Collins where you, you know, that's all there kind of is in town. There was still this idea that, well, you know, come this weekend, we're going to go to Boulder and we're going to climb on ropes, you know. So it's an interesting thing, the athleticism part of it, you know, and, and again, we can look at Gill, Gill was you know into that athleticism part of it but he was a bit of a of an anomaly forever in so many different ways he was i mean even to this day i feel like john gill's approach there's nobody who has it right because he would see bouldering as a gymnastic routine that you perfected over and over Mm -hmm. so you wanted it to be easier and easier so that i mean he he was also into training obviously but but he was into that like flow state of just like I'm gonna do this Boulder album ten times and make it better each time, you know, for its own sake. Right. That was the art, right? You know, not the number, the flow state, the perfection was the art. So why did you climb at Tropics the first time? How um, did that? How did that circumstance? That started and again, <laughs> Tropics is part of Horse Tooth, old Horse Tooth Reservoir bouldering. It, it was got, basically one traverse, right? Yeah. Well, there was a few problems. You know, there was that Mega nose traverse. thing that you had to. That, and uh, I, I always think, remember that one because my friend JT just like fell on his back, like Ooh. right. And we didn't use, I mean, it was pre pads. So, sure. Yeah. And we just like all stood around and looked at him while he rolled around in the, in the cobbles. And it was all, the landings were the cobbles, like those river rocks, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, like man. It's rounded. been a long yeah. time. I don't remember. I totally well. remember. But then they buried it because they built, they made the dam bigger. Yeah. So it disappeared. But. Well, the mega traverse was like the yeah. big. Yeah. The traverse. Scene. Yeah. Well, one of my best friends in high school, his name was Ben Demler. He was um, he was ahead of the curve in so many ways. I'm really lucky that I got to know this guy. I mean, I grew up with him, went to kindergarten with him all the way through high school. He was one of my best friends. But he was a bike racer, and he was one of the best junior bike racers in the country in the 80s. He was going to go pro, and so he moved to CSU to pursue cycling. And so, you know, I just came out to visit him and he was like let's go do this rock climbing he got into bouldering and he was such a good athlete i mean he was i think he sent the mega traverse like the day that we went out there you know like i mean he couldn't have been climbing more than a year or something i mean what was it like v6 or seven i don't know i don't don't recall but uh anyway he was you know he was my friend and i came out to visit him and we climbed there and he took me over to Telluride, and you know, I was just like, "Whoa!" So that was, yeah, that's when you climbed for the first time. That was my first time, but yeah. I didn't really get into it until this guy John Seitz was like, "Hey, John, we need to, we need to go rock climbing." And he had discovered that there was climbing around East Tennessee. I didn't know that there was climbing around there, and so uh, we were on the rowing team together at the University of Tennessee, and so it was like something that we did in the summer, you know, at first, like between rowing season. And, uh, yeah, all it took was one summer of climbing around East Tennessee, just like podunk crags, you know, small little crags. And we were totally hooked. And then of course I like went down the rabbit hole, got a climbing magazine and you start reading about the culture. And, but, uh, we were also lucky in that Knoxville had a limestone cliff right in town. It's now closed. It's called Cherokee bluff, but Glenn, again, Glenn Ritter, uh, mostly bolted this crag 
and it was right in town. Really good limestone. It was like super quality and hard, like roots from like 5'7 to 5'13. And so we could go there and just, you know, push ourselves and learn how to rock climb, you know, right after class or whatever. And it was just right in town. So Knoxville was, it was a, it was a good time to start climbing there. So I'm trying to get a picture of like what this these years looked like. Yeah, um, I mean, know? you know, like we, <laughs> I was like, I thought I was going to be working movies. I was, I got a degree in theater, technical theater, and I thought that I wanted to go to Hollywood and all this stuff. And, you know, as soon as I started climbing, it was very hard to graduate. <laughs> I mean, that's all I wanted to do. I was just climbing any free moment, going to the gym, going to Cherokee Bluff, taking weekend trips to Buzzard Point. Or once Obed was discovered, then we were just always at Obed, like every free day, getting pummeled by the steep roofs there and getting scared. Um, Then once we learned that there were multi-pitch routes in North Carolina, just like four hours away, then, you know, we're getting over there as much as possible. The South is, I think, the best quality rock in the country, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got into an argument with a kid in Boulder Canyon like a month ago or something. And right. I, was, I was like, you know, he had just moved out here from Virginia or something. Right. And I was like, yeah, you know, Boulder Canyon is awesome. There's a lot of good roots. But I think the, you know, I still think the best rock is like in the South. He's like, what? No way. I was like, no, nah, I don't know, man. I think the best rock is in the South. Yeah. I mean, it's size. Size is, is kind of our thing out here in the West anyway. <laughs> I mean, if you're arguing about Boulder Canyon, then yeah, that kid I lost. I was also just kind of, you know, he lost that argument. Kid. Yeah. Well, he's going to lose that argument anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, Boulder Canyon's decent, but <laughs> it's like certainly not like the, our gem go-to. Castle um, Rock's good, though. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just all flary and <laughs> slimy, but hey. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm trying to like imagine this like cultural thing that you guys have going because, again, it was like this really isolated. I mean, climbing communities were fairly isolated. And, yeah, and, the Knoxville community yeah. in the early '90s was very isolated. Yeah, I mean, it, I was just last night actually talking about, of, of all places, Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah, and uh, you know, that's like east or western Kentucky. Yeah, western Kentucky, but it's not far from Fa- uh, Jackson Falls, which is in Illinois, oh, okay, right? Yeah. But I was telling the story about how I came out here to Colorado and and you know learned to climb and had been climbing a couple years or maybe just a year or two year. And I went back and I was like, this is, would have been 89, 90. And I was like, you know what? I've heard that there's climbing in Southern Illinois, right? And I'm coming from Colorado and I'm like, I get my buddy from Chicago and I'm like, let's go down there. Let's like go check it out. 
and basically I was like, yeah, we'll go down there. We'll find like a, you know, we'll find like a shop. There'll be somebody who knows like about climbing and, and we'll get like a guidebook. Cause I'm coming from Colorado, right. And then already in the nineties. And that, that's what I'm saying. It's like fully established. Like climbing is this thing that's been there for 50 years. You know, it's like the Stetners and the, you know, Robert Orms and all these people. It's like a, a century of, of climbing legacy and and that's what i expected to find in southern illinois so we literally went down there and i went to i mean a couple like sports stores around like carbondale and i was like yeah they're climbing and they they just were like what are you talking about so then we just took literally to to crisscrossing the area looking for cliffs <laughs> like you know these perfect what year was this this would have been 1990 Oh yeah, probably. Man. And so, like you know, every, all the roads are like perfectly squared off around farm farms. So we're like essentially like grit, perfectly grid searching the entire southern part of Illinois. I had no, I I had never heard of Jackson Falls. Maybe it was kind of there, or maybe it wasn't there yet. I have no idea. But we would like stop the car and then like clandestinely cross fields. Did you find it? We found cliffs worth climbing. Um, we went to this place called Giant City, which I know is now has climbing. Maybe it's closed. I don't mm. know. It was in a state park. We actually found, I found chalk. I mean, this is how like the investigation was going was like, I talked to a ranger there and they told me something about maybe some climbing and we found this little bouldering wall and I found chalk and I was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we ran into some guys who repelled and they didn't know anything about it. And then. That's amazing. You were so dedicated. Well, to and we. It. And we went, I mean, we'd gone down there. And so I was like, and then we went to a cliff and I went up there and I set up this top rope and we rappelled down. It was all covered in cobwebs. But then, and then I found a piton and I was like, we have climbing. (laughs) And to this day, I have no idea what, I'm sure it's like a developed cliff now. And I don't know, but we were like, I knew better than to to like advertise that we're crossing farmer's fields, but we totally were. I was just parking my van on the road and we were just like wading through corn, Totally, you know? But yeah, it's just like interesting because I expected this one thing because I was in Colorado, like at least somebody to know something about climbing, but it was not. You couldn't have picked a more off the... You yeah, know, radar totally. location yeah, in totally. southern Illinois in the early 90s. Yeah, totally. I know. And then I years <laughs> later, a few years later, I went back to Jackson Falls and found it. And um, But even then, we had to sort of explore. But it's just kind well, of, I it's do, like, it's I so... I kind of miss those days, Yeah, right? totally. No, I, I mean, totally miss that. That's what I'm pointing out is like, it's yeah. kind of hard to even remember that it was like that. Yeah, I miss that. Yeah. I, I think that, I you know, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to be the old fart guy that yeah. just like mm-hmm. bashes everything new, yep. you know? So that's not where this is coming from. But I would say that the, this generation that's coming up now, unless you're really into exploring, you know, like going out and finding off the beaten path stuff, you're not getting <laughs> as rich in it as in experiences. I feel like I had mm-hmm. like, there was a magic to like getting a hand drawn topo to some crag in the middle of nowhere. Right. And going there with your buddies and like find, you know, having you find it and like discover the climbing on your own as opposed to going on mountain project and being led there by GPS, you know, like I'd miss it, but I also feel, you know, glad that I got to experience that, that aspect of climbing, you know, for as long as I did mostly gone and you, 
in North America, I think. I mean, that was the that was like de jour. That's what happened. That's yeah, how that you how climbed. Yeah, totally. And you would hear stories, right? Of like, right. like for years, I heard about Little River Canyon. Mm-hmm. It was a mysterious place. Nobody would give up the beta to mm-hmm. Little River Canyon because there was a road that snaked along the top of it, and there was no parking, so they were they were worried about parking. So to get into Little River Canyon for a long time, you had to go there with somebody who knew. But when you finally went and saw it, you know, for the first time, like that was a magical thing, yeah. you know, a special thing. The the counterculture thing that you're talking about, that's also this a little bit of this old guy lament because, you know, here we are where it's like fully mainstream fully. and like you could definitely go to Southern Illinois and find a climb place that knew about all the climbing. And besides going on Mountain Project and everything else, actually, that reminds me, I probably should go on Mountain Project and see if I can like match the shit on there with these things that we were driving around looking at. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and like, and again, it's hard to not turn it into this lament because, you know, we're old guys and that's, you know, and I, I, I work really hard to not have that. But part of my brain is like the more mainstream it becomes, the more lame it becomes and like <laughs> that's a controversial statement <laughs> yeah i mean that's not i mean it's like that's but, I mean, totally when you like, go out yeah. and you climb it still feels good everything's yeah, right. the same right you right, know right, like right, it, right. The, yeah. the feeling is mostly the same right you know like the actual yeah the, the but climbing. this is just one aspect that yeah. i'm talking about yeah. right that's kind of gone and that i miss mm-hmm. you know well i mean but i it, it it also attracted me like the fact that you were a weirdo and you had these few people that knew about climbing and it was like your secret subculture absolutely was super appealing absolutely you know i i loved it i still love it i still love that about climbing even though it's more mainstream i still love that you know if you were to roll into most any climber campground you know you immediately have something in common with these people right um it it is you know i feel like People are a little more closed off these days because so many more people do climb, but in general, I still feel that camaraderie. Yeah, um, sorry. But it's the, more a historical <laughs> picture of like, a, a, you know, a, an era and a time when it, it's hard. To, like I said, it's hard for me to remember it because, yeah, it's been a you while. know, the change is gradual and it just seems like, yeah, we've always had this this phone where you can look up information. We've always, you know, and, and I think we've talked about it on here before, but there was even a push against phone, you know, like you weren't supposed to bring your phone with you at all into the mountains. I remember even guiding, like talking about it. 
Like, and then all of a sudden it just occurred to everybody that, well, yeah, it's safer to bring your phone. But, you know, this, this idea of disconnecting was super important to the whole part of it as well. I mean, Alpinist is, is a, you know, like that's out right now and that's kind of was his attitude. So it's like, yeah. (laughs) Man, that movie. It's kind of like a weird ideal. I just watched that movie. What did you think about it? (laughs) Did you like it? Yeah. I mean. I mean, I think the the soloing footage in there is. I thought it was gr- more gripping than free solo. Absolutely. I yeah. thought. I mean, watching him solo that mixed route to that thin pillar oh, yeah. of ice, oh, yeah. I was like, "What the yeah. hell?" Yeah, totally. No, that but, that shit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, both in both cases, it's you're watching this footage of something that you intellectually know they survived. Yeah, but it's still hard. But it's still hard, <laughs> and I think like the suspension of disbelief was sort of more powerful in uh, with Mark Andre than with Honold because you just have this like we've just been trained to believe that Honold has it all fucking under control do you know what i mean <laughs> i know it he's does a machine, seem like he's it a does computer. seem he unlikely just, like, that he'll ever fall off yeah it's just like we've been trained to believe that his brain is like this crazy computer that will that's making all the calculations that we can't conceive of and it's all going to be fine i did not get i mean maybe it was the film maybe it's what i know about mark andre i never met him but i know s- s- people who knew him he seems more like the wild card dude you know and so it's like and it's all just like how they're presented i think in a lot of ways well, but i like just feel my, like for some reason Jake i feel Whitaker like Whitaker describes yeah. his old school hippie bold <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. he had that old school hippie bold thing going yeah. on yeah yeah like caution to the wind. Kind yeah, of dude. yeah. He was just tuned. I'm just right. tuned in, you know. Like I just want to drop out and yeah. tune in, you know. Yeah. And man, I mean, he did. Mm-hmm. Somebody, I, I, I always imagine Honold, um, his, you know, his perspective is the Terminator. You know where the the computer shit's oh, going yeah. on, like, it does. and then it like, <laughs> and it like goes down to the hold, and then it calculates yeah. the, you know. And I think you're <laughs> probably not far off there. You know, I when I anyway, first, what were you going to say? I interrupted. Oh, you. Well, you said, oh. no, I, yeah. the old man in me wants to like take this opportunity to tell all the young people watching, you know, to like don't take too many risks. But mm-hmm. that's so that's hypocritical because right. I took so many fucking risks. Right. You know, like I still take risks, but I took some serious risks when I was younger. I I mean, I still free solo, but I used to free solo a lot and free solo harder, you know, harder roots. Mm-hmm. But uh, but when I watched The Alpinist, I was just like, I was, I was just kind of the old, you know, the older me now is just like, ah, oh, I wish that he could have lived longer, you know, and like it didn't have to be this way, blah, sure. blah, blah. But it's just not fair. That's just not fair. I can't judge him for doing what he did. When I did risky stuff myself, not that, mm-hmm. you know, level, but I did plenty of risky stuff. I still do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ride my bike around Boulder all the time. Riding your bike around here is just freaking dangerous. Right. People die. It seems like once a month, some cyclist is killed. And it made me realize, like, you know, like, he was just going to do what he was going to do. There's always going to be people like that who are just, they're just drawn to that level of risk. They have to have it. And, you know he had that level of risk and that level of ability. So he was going to push it and see how far he could go. And, you know, a lot of people don't make it. And I got lucky. I could have, I could have died so many different ways. I mean, I, I broke two bolts sport climbing at index and fell from 50 feet and was stopped literally like inches from the ground. You broke bolts. Yeah. 
Yeah, this was like I broke two bolts. Like my worst climbing accident was breaking two bolts and almost decking from 50 feet. So this was like it, Rock and Ice did a ride up on it and huh. like it was in accidents in North Mountain. North American mountaineering, blah, blah, blah. blah. What were the, were they like old quarter um, inchers or were they poorly was placed? put up by Greg Child uh-huh. and Andrew DeClerc. You know those names, I'm sure. Oh, I know, but Greg's. Yeah, so they put up sport routes in the 80s at Index. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you ever climbed at Index? No. Oh, man, it's so good. But that's another story. Anyway, Index is wet, right? It's very wet crag. But I think even aside from the climate there, what Greg Child did was put in steel bolts on aluminum hangers. And over time, the two metals right. de- uh, decayed. And, you know, I like, I was doing everything right. I was hanging on, you know, this, this was a forgotten route. It was, you know, totally dirty. I was scrubbing it up to, like, get it in shape to climb. Very spacey bolts. You know, this is 1980s bolting style, early sport climbing. And I got up to the third bolt and I clipped into it. It's like 50 feet off the ground. And I said, take, I pulled up the rope, you know, to like get up close and ping and it popped and I started falling and the next bolt was down into my right. And so I'm like looking at it, you know, looking at the rope to gauge my fall. And as soon as I started to come up tight on that bolt, ping, it popped and I hit a little like two foot ledge and it flipped me facing cliff out my, both of my arms over my head. And I thought, well, this is it. I'm going to hit the ground. And moments before, you know, like moment or moments after I had that thought, I like came to a screeching halt, literally like inches off the ground. And I'm like staring face to face, just like I'm looking at you now to my Blair. And we're just looking at each other, you know, with the widest eyes. And I was like, well, lower me because <laughs> my feet were just dangling you know just inches right. off the ground that's how close it was <laughs> but back to the point about risk you right know, like i could have been killed doing that you right know? right as opposed to free soloing yeah. or something like that and like well, back and to the mark andre, andre thing, thing is he didn't die soloing yeah he, he, he survived avalanche. all that stuff yeah but he, i somebody maybe i read it online or somebody said you know like leading alpine routes like that <clears throat> excuse me, is not that much different than selling them. No. Like the waterfall route. Sure. You don't, people don't commonly whip on that stuff. Right. right. So anyway. Yeah. But that's scraping up that freaking limestone thing because I, you know, <laughs> I, I literally, have, <laughs> you know, put up roots up in those zones, like not far from where that footage was shot on that kind of rock. And it's like, it fucking breaks all the time. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I don't know. It was it was that was something to see. It yeah. was definitely another level. And we've all like if you've even dabbled in like mixed climbing, you know, that feeling of like how fast like a tool skates off of something. That that's the thing like yeah. that was in my like you know, hands when I was watching that was like that feeling of like your tool just like zings off of something so fast. And I'm like in the way he was moving so slowly, I was like, that looks like he knows about that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know he knows about that feeling. And it I'm was like, well, ama- um, an amazing yeah. level of calm, right, and precision, and the and the, sk- and the, the skating of your of your <sighs> crampons too. Is that feeling of like zing? It just comes off. I was almost more impressed with that solo than like the Tori Egger solo. No, what he was doing looked desperate, and like it looked. Desperate. We we That's... talked to you know we talked to Peter Mortimer about it, 
a little bit about filming that stuff and it's just like i always move to that like the guy sitting there with sitting the camera there with the camera yeah like just puckered yeah you know like what am i doing here like yeah. what am i like sort of involved in and what yeah. am i actually what am i the engine of creating got this this sounds like what like a 13 14 year old period and it's it's very tempting or it's very sort of the siren of it is just to try to keep it up forever and i've talked to you know on this podcast i've talked on the run out about like the kind of it is a siren song because you will be bashed against the rocks you will be sucked down the whirlpool yeah you have to you have to mature. You have to fucking. I mean, the 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 hero's journey. You have to like transform. Yeah. And the people I know in this this climbing life that either are still hanging on to it or hung on to it too long, you know, it it becomes not not without exception, but it can easily become like this sort of tragic tale of like, what are you still doing? You know. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of like trying to place that in my head, like this period where you're furiously going around the country and climbing well, everywhere and exploring crags. And then you have this like moment where you like start to realize there's something missing. Yeah. I think that's, that's an awesome observation. And yeah, it's one that's kind of coming full circle for me at the moment even. But like, as I got better as a climber, you know, like I started in 91, I think around 97, I started to feel like I was getting good. And it just wasn't a I, week after you started you got your gym membership. You felt like you, yeah, were, right. you felt like you were really good. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's another thing that's changed. But anyway, yeah, totally. Let's still well, let's I was not mo- go back down there. I was always into track climbing. Yeah. I, was, I was into sport climbing, but I was more into multi pitch track climbing. You know what I say about uh, about that trad climbing, where you substitute scary for hard. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Well, I was anyway. on the, I was on the Croft. Dream, you know, I was following the Croft dream, the mm-hmm. the multiple link up day, you know, right. like that was what in, I was enamored of. Right. It was, yeah, today I went out and I climbed this, 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 and this, and this, right. and it was like that sounded amazing to me. Yeah, so that's what I was always kind of right. chasing after that dream of linking up roots. Yeah, around ninety eight, I started to get injured. So like, I started to want to prove myself athletically, and I was getting to that point where I was starting to feel like I was getting good at climbing. But right at that moment, I had a great season in 97. 
And then I got injured in 98 and I was injured for the next two years. So Mm. I lost two years. So like I had no regard. And if you're this person out there listening, (laughs) well, you're probably smarter than me, but if you're not, you know, like you're not going to be 20 forever and you're going to have to rest. Like I never got tired in my twenties. I was just, it was impossible to tire me, tire me out. And so I just didn't take rest days, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think Alan Watts from Smith Rock fame, guy who developed Smith Rock. Yeah, sure. He didn't he like he like climbed every day for a year or something insane like that. You have you ever heard this? No, but yeah, I and he like it. ended up blowing out his tendons. You mm-hmm. know, like like just wrecking himself. Well, I was kind of like that, but for like trad climbing, just like constantly going out doing multiple long mm-hmm. days, and I did that for years, and they just started to add up. Like my shoulder started to go. I ended up chipping a bone in my ankle and then my back went out, which was like the, you know, the coup de gras. And I had to have surgery on that. So like over a two year period, I just didn't climb very much at all. I was trying to, and it just, you know, I just ended up being broken all the time. Mm -hmm. So like, I felt like I was like denied, you know, like I had that monkey on my back. Like the final injury was like my back. And then I had surgery at the end of 2000. Yeah. The end of 2000. And while I was recovering from surgery, I started taking banjo lessons just because around Western North Carolina, you know, I heard banjo all the time and I always liked banjo. So I started doing that and I was into it. So you're based out of North Carolina at this point. Yeah. I was always kind of like, I would work summers at this camp guiding. Okay. And, um, and then I would save up my money, hit the road. Pretty typical. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my, that was kind of like my circuit, you know. And then like my typical circuit would be like Waco, Red Rocks, Yosemite, something like that. Right. Come back and work again. So that's when I kind of got into music. Right. And you weren't a musician before that. No, I was like I said, I was a hack. Right. You know, I could like I could get around the guitar. Right. And I'd learn like a bunch of Dave Matthews riffs, you know, like mm-hmm. the intros that he did. No, I didn't know anything about music. Not really. I mean, I played like trumpet in high school, and right, I took right, a few right. classical lessons sure. on piano as a sure. kid. Yeah, yeah, the but I didn't. Thing. Yeah, right. I didn't remember any of that. Yeah, but so you know, speaking of like learn, you know, getting into climbing, like you know, so, so often it's like, wow, you know, you do it a few times, and it's like this is my thing, or there's this thing where it clicks, and you're just like, this is my thing. Like, how did the musicianship? Because it's like, well, <laughs> let me just say this: like, you're an extraordinarily talented musician. Oh, well, sitting here. That's very generous of you. Well, I know you're you're also quite humble about it, but I mean, you know your way around those fucking instruments. Um, you're a composer. You know, it's like you've taken it beyond just like noodling around around a campfire by quite a, <laughs> quite a distance. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, and you know, and I have these sort of a little bit of musical background, but I I I actually don't even call myself a musician. I call myself a player because I can play the guitar. I don't know that much about what I'm doing, but sure. nevertheless. So tell me a little bit about like, cause I want to kind of talk about the meshing of the two as yeah, well, absolutely. but like of it, of it clicking and you going like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, yeah. This well, is a it, thing. That girl. Right. It was that girl. She broke up with me. Okay. Yeah. So we. Ooh, I, nice. I, I, yeah, it was brutal. It's, uh, well, we, it we was, were talking about this at dinner, the pain, uh, that about like yeah, the necessity yeah. of pain yeah, for like the, regeneration or some yeah, shit. Yeah, totally. That was, at the mo- <laughs> at the time, that was seriously painful. I lived for a year in Arches National Park. I worked 
at uh, Arches. Okay. Um, when I came out of back surgery, so right. I moved to Arches, worked as an interp ranger and uh, resource manager for a year there. And she came with me and she worked at Goblin Valley. And so we were there for like a year and I like slowly got back into shape, started climbing again out there in uh, Moab. But uh, the whole point of that was to like maybe go to grad school because I was trying to like figure out the next step in life, mm-hmm. you know. And at the time, I thought maybe I wanted to work for the Access Fund. I, I this is what I thought because the Access Fund was kind of growing at that mm-hmm. point, and I wanted to you know maybe keep my foot in climbing. And uh, the whole time, I was like slowly starting to get more into music. You know, I took banjo lessons, and I was like starting to noodle on the guitar. I learned a little bit of bluegrass guitar, just a little, tiny little bit. Anyway, we moved back to Chattanooga for me to go to grad school. Her big goal was to hike the AT. And so she was prepping to do the AT that whole spring. She went off to do the AT that summer. Well, she goes off to do the AT, and I'm in grad school, and I'm going to propose to her when she gets done. And she just stopped calling me. She stopped talking to me. She just completely ghosted me while on the AT. And we've been together three years. And I was paying her bills. I was taking care of her cat. It was it was brutal. It was brutal. I was <laughs> too crushed. much shit. Too much time out there walking. Yeah. She, too much time out there was, walking. She's over it. You're right. And <laughs> she didn't have the balls to like break up with me, just like call me up and call right, it off. Right, she right. couldn't do it. Anyway. Through that pain, I wrote songs. Right. Just as a cathartic exercise, it just came out of me. Mm-hmm. And they came out so easily. They came out, just flowed right out. That pain just literally just like ejected them out. I was like, wow, how, how did I do that? You know, like this was a new experience to just be that creatively. I wouldn't say, I don't want to say successful, but just... To just easily create was mm-hmm. never something that I'd ever been able to do. Like I said, I tried to write, I tried to draw, I tried to take photographs. None of it worked. The songs just flowed out. And so at the time I was like, wow, I want to ex- explore this further. And a good friend of mine was a, a sea kayak tour guide in the Caribbean in the wintertime. He would go down there and guide and he got me a job doing that. And so this was the first time in my life that I just decided to not be around climbing since I had started. A Caribbean sea kayak guide? Yeah. That but, sounds real brutal. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to get away from everything that I knew and uh, and like try to you know get over my right, heartbreak. Right. Even moving to Chattanooga was so I could be close to T-Wall. Right. You know, like I wanted to be in a grad school that was close to climbing. Anyway, we lived on this tiny little boat that was out in a bay, like paying next to no rent. And I had got a banjo and a guitar and I took them down there and I got these books. I was learning bluegrass. I was into bluegrass at this point. And I just, I wrote like 20 songs while I was down there on this boat. Effortlessly, they just came out and I was get, I like fell in with this group of musicians on the island they let me play a gig with them and I got a free meal out of it. Right. Nice. Like Getting that paid. was huge. I, that was my pay. Right? Like, right. But I was hooked. I was like, right. this is amazing. You know, like, and so I was like, at that point I was kind of, that gig, did you have to be like, 
no, ma'am, we we are not going to play Margaritaville. Go sit down. <laughs> no, but there was plenty of Margaritaville going around there for sure. I used to play with this guy named Barefoot Davis. All right. And that was his shtick. He was like this close to a real pirate as I've ever met. Right on. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so you're. I could you're tell like, stories about that guy all night. But. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, yeah, that was how I really got my foot into music. I was like, wow, I'm into this. I'm, like, way into this. You right. Know? Like, I want to see where I can go with it. So, I guess that was 2003. Mm-hmm. But I still kind of had climbing, um, you know, I had, like, that monkey on my shoulder of, like, I have something to prove that I didn't get to prove because I was stopped when I was just getting good at climbing, quote, good, whatever that means. Now it doesn't mean anything. Didn't mean anything then, really, but... I still kind of had a foot in climbing, like kind of seriously, and I that was I did SAR that next year, so I could go to Yosemite and do some more climbing. Quite done, mm-hmm. you know, trying to quote prove myself climbing or whatever. But you know, like your last, the last episode that I listened to, or one of the last ones with Steve Schneider, he describes an event where he just felt like he had nothing left to prove. Do you remember that moment of him talking about that? He did a big wall. In Patagonia yeah, solo, the Pat- yeah, the solo thing. Yeah, and he just felt like I had nothing left to prove. And that next summer on Sar, I kind of had that moment. And I just felt like, okay, I, this is I'm good. Now I can go do music. After that season, I moved to Seattle and really went all in on music. What was the impetus? Why Seattle? I mean, you uh, live in this like hotbed of bluegrass. Yeah, that's a in good North sp- Carolina. Yeah, yeah. That's and you're a- like, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, at the time, I, you know, I still was like, because that's all I've associated with you. Because I, since I've known you, that was where you lived, and yeah, you totally. did. You actually did a podcast about roots music. Yeah. Uh, which I enjoyed, and I know it was thankless. And <laughs> it's, it's a funny pain that in the you ass, say that. So many people. But- like that podcast i loved it quit doing it i know before it even got going i know why you did because it's a fucking pain in the ass it's hard work i'm impressed with how you've stayed the course well i have also it's like your free meal that you got playing playing that gig like as as the enormous cast progressed each time i was about to like meal yeah i got a little (laughs) bit better meal and you know it's and it's just enough i mean it literally is i mean i don't obviously you know it's like i don't do it for the money but i couldn't do it without it Sure. Because it's just too much. I mean, I have a kid and shit. I can't just spend all this time. Totally. So it's like, it, but it's always just been enough each time. Like, all right, I'm done with this shit. And then they're like, I'm like, oh, wait, but here's a little bit more. So <laughs> anyway, so I understand why you quit. I knew why you quit when you quit doing it. 
But I was bummed. I mean, you did what, like eleven or twelve episodes? I don't even know. I think so. There's a whole because I listen to the them podcast all. Podcast thing, but yeah, <laughs> I don't. I won't go there right at the moment. <laughs> but what were you talking about? Oh, you we're, asked yeah. why I moved to Seattle. Yeah, the Seattle move. Yeah, for the bluegrass so see, guy yeah, from North Carolina. Well, when I when the SAR season ended, I was offered a job rigging ropes on a mountain in the Cascades for an adventure race. Remember those adventure oh, races? Yeah, yeah. During that era, not only do I remember him, I actually dated, and this is this is a normal cast history because she's been on the show. But I dated one of the top adventure, adventure racers, racers of all time. Yeah, did she like win the Eco Challenge? She or something? Did several of them. She she almost won with an all women's team. No, the legend Rebecca Rush. She's okay, a, she's a I know her incredible, as a mountain biker. Yeah, right? yeah, but before that's how she got into mountain biking oh, okay. was adventure racing. Well, yeah, primal quest. Yeah, well, that, that was shit. it. It was yeah, a, yeah. it was a primal uh, she, quest. I'm sure she was in it. She was probably in it. Well, somebody freaking died. died. Yes, she yeah. was in it. Yeah, I thought somebody was gonna die on our rig, man. Mm. It was it was sketch. Anyway, she was in that race. Yeah, it, that was that was brutal. Oh no, it was very brutal. Bad way. That 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 kind of took her off of um, adventure racing. I'm not but, surprised somebody yeah. died. Like what we were doing was sketchy. Right, and I had a a good buddy of mine from the camp who lived there. And I was just like taken with the city. I was like, wow, this is the coolest city I've ever been to. And so that same guy lived with a girl who owned a dog walking business. And she's like, Oh, you like it? Well, you want a job? Like I was just offered a job just like that. And I was like, really? And so I just stayed and I fell in with this whole bluegrass scene there that was just blowing up. Hmm. And that's where I met my wife, Melissa, who you met tonight. Stand-up stand bass. Yeah. And, well, bass, she played yeah. fiddle right. in those okay. days. Anyway, she's a pro-level harmony singer, but that's right. beside the point. Okay. Yeah. Phenomenal singer. Yeah, so I just fell in with this amazing scene, you know, and it was really kind of blowing up at the time. Uh, bluegrass was really taking off in Seattle around 2004. And did, like, climbing just take a full backseat at this point? At the beginning, yeah. I just didn't even, like I said, I felt I felt washed, you know? Like, right. I had a great summer on SAR. There were no SARs, basically, and I climbed my ass off. Right. I did, you know, I exceeded my expectations of, like, you know, difficulties right. and felt really good about, you know, what I did that summer and uh, was ready to really Well, that's interesting to me because going back to what I said about, like, keeping it going is that... There's two there's two sort of traps there, and one of them is like, okay, well, I did this, so next year I'll do bigger stuff. Yeah, is, totally. Is I think that's the like the most common impetus. You're eventually going to hit the ceiling, right? But the other one is just to like reclaim those feelings. Like I had this great year, so I'm going to have a greater year. I'm suffering that you know right I mean? now. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm trying to get that back in right, my own climbing, right. and it's it's proving to be right. exceedingly difficult. Yeah, <laughs> cool. I have admiration for those who like keep going as long as they're it's positive and it's healthy and it's like it's in the right place in your life but i also have this great admiration for someone who who puts it away for a while to do something else absolutely and i i and that's why like really what i wanted to talk to you about and why i wanted to have you on because i'm just interested in that yeah and i'm also it's funny because now i'm trying to get back sure you know where i was and it's so hard well you're not gonna so that's (laughs) that's probably like your better way to look at it it's obvious i'll never be physically where i was yeah but i mean you gotta like you have to just change the why you climb but i don't want to leave this thing behind so let's not talk about that yet and and just like the fact that you recognized the satisfaction you were getting from it you recognized 
a talent you had with it is is also good because I, I, I think that a lot of times people live lives where, you know, they don't actually have I mean, in a lot of ways it's a it's a it's a little bit of I mean, I don't want to say courage because it, it makes it sound like too big a deal, but you know, you could have been this or you could have been that. And a lot of times it's easier to stay the course. And the staying the course was would have been going back to SAR. But And I could have. Yeah. And it yeah. was just like more of a like well, what if I explore this and what could happen? And and the reward is obviously has been that, you know, you, you developed into a, a excellent musician that can, you know, it's like you can. I've had a lot of lucky breaks, but yeah. yeah. But it's also being open. I mean, lucky breaks are, are one thing, but it's being open to, you well, know, you, you're in Seattle and this lady it, says you can walk dogs. Is that what your it, job was? She said walk For about a year dog. and a half, yeah. yeah I so, I mean, dogs. a lot of people have been like, fuck that. I'm not going to be a dog walker. But you said, yeah, I'll be a dog walker. And, oh, what came with that? You met your future wife and, and you got to hang out in this great bluegrass scene. Because you said yes to this thing, I think that a lot of people, if you're 31 or 2 or whatever you were, or late 20s. I was 33 at that point. Yeah, it would have been like, fuck that. That's like... That's something for teenagers. Yeah, totally. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's okay like to, to look at that as a lucky break, but it's also most people would have said no to it. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm an, in, <laughs> I'm an intuitive person. I'm, like, e- extremely intuitive, you know? Like, I'm immediately, like, just sensing, like, this is wrong, this is right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's mm-hmm. helped me in my climbing a lot, you right. know? Like, if I sense the danger, I'll just, like, turn it off and be like, not today. Right. I'll, I'm coming down. Um, whereas like a, a lot of people might just keep staying the course. I'm going up, you know, mm-hmm. and get into trouble. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it just wasn't even a question. I mean, but here's the rub, right? Like the, the whole rub. time. There's always a rub. Yeah. The rub, like basically from the years of 2012 till 2019, I was just playing music and didn't climb shit mm-hmm. like hardly at all. Oh, I know. And we've, I mean, was, we've communicated through yeah, this time. Yeah. And yeah. it was hard, man, to not climb, you know, like it was hard. I missed it a lot. And uh, I still, you know, even though I live in Boulder, I mean, I, I do miss the culture of like being in my truck. And I was just lamenting this to Melissa the other day. Like, right. Man, I miss just like waking up at a climbing area in my truck, have nothing, like having no access to the internet, not knowing what the hell's going on, and only thinking about climbing. Right. That, you know, that's all you have to think about. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I do miss that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think I mean I I'll be we're we're of the same vintage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just talked to Nile Grimes who is of the same vintage. He's 53. Yeah. And you know, he had the same he he got he had a he had a he got married, had a kid, and he put climbing in the background mm. and he's in the same same position where he's like rediscovering it and and you know, w- w- like he said that he went on this trip and he was wondering like, well, is it going to be gone for me, you know, or, or my relationship with these people who were yeah. my climbing buddies? But he's like, it's the same. And so it's like, you just have to kind of rediscover it. But the, the, it's, I don't see it as a rub. I just see it as like an evolution. Well, you know, you know, I did an album 2018, 2019 right. called Nice Impression. And every track features a climber, a notable historic historically important climber mm-hmm. talking about climbing right? right and that album wouldn't exist if i didn't like pine for climbing right, right. that was me just like missing climbing yes all of this was me without me there was no climbing there was no strength there was no power 
people could barely do a pull up. I trained really hard and then I think about three weeks before I went to France I went on a really strict diet, about a thousand calories a day. I lost loads of weight and my, my power just went through the roof. It went through the roof. I could do one four seven, I could hang one arm pull up, reach the next one, hang one arm pull up, blow and just so from at the beginning of the winter not being able to do it, I could absolutely I could do it really easily. a living as a musician not a good living but right. yeah, i was trying but that was it like, yeah that was the dedication For a while, yeah, yeah. Well, i I've, taught a lot but yeah well that's how you make a living as a musician <laughs> well mostly. my wife also right. helped me out sure but i mean i just think of, I've, i and i think i've taught i've talked to you about this over the years it's a lifestyle and it's a skill especially someone who plays stringed instruments that doesn't mesh that well with climate. No, it's terrible. Right, because you're terrible. Your hands climbing. get fucked yeah, up. Yeah, it's bad. Even even as, even as like a, a hack that I play. No, it's bad. I knew I knew I could when I would pick up my guitar or play a gig, I could feel that I had mm-hmm. climbed recently. And I wouldn't allow myself to climb in those years because right. I didn't want to. Yeah, you know, and you're playing. Gigging. I mean, and you're playing like very technical stuff on, yeah. on a stringed instrument. Your fingers need to be limber. Yeah, and so I and and then the other thing is the lifestyle. It's like you know, oh, it's terrible. Even gigging locally in my little, you know, my little orbit. It's it's not like healthy. the weekend's over. You know, you stayed up till t- fucking three o'clock. In, yeah. in in the you know years past, it was up till three o'clock drinking and partying. Musician lifestyle is You ain't going to get up and go send no. your project the next they're, day. They're absolutely, <laughs> totally right. opposed. Right. I mean, you know, when you're 20, you can drink hard and climb hard. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. But after 30... That's part of the deal. Actually. You're not going to climb hard. It's no. just not going to happen anymore. No. And when you're 40, forget it. Yeah. And now that we're 50... Really? Let alone the it. drinking, just the lack of sleep is enough totally. to fuck you yeah. so hard. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely did my share of partying right. when I was playing music and I was probably 10 pounds heavier than I am now and eating bad food and I didn't sleep very well. Well, you were also, I mean, you were, you were at times a road musician, like yeah. doing, and that's, it's the worst. In 2017, I played a hundred solo shows. That's just yeah. solo shows. I had other gigs, a right. hundred shows. It was brutal. Right. I, I just totally burnt out that year. But um, and that's I did nice impression right after that. I just wanted to do something right. totally different. And you were talking about climbing and music, um, not jiving. Well, I've recently like um, I've gotten serious about a classical guitar piece that I've I've dabbled with for a long time, and it's hard. It's like it's legit really hard to play. It's like five fourteen guitar playing, for lack of a better description. I'm getting real close. I'm like 95% there on this thing. And as I'm getting closer, I'm like, should I go climb? <laughs> you know, like, like, should I just not climb until I knock this thing out, you know? Or so 
yeah, I mean, it's always nagging at me. Like, if I want to play well, then I shouldn't try to climb well. Yeah, well, that's just the thing is I think you could, is you, 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 you can keep, I mean, in my opinion, it's like there are sacrifices we made, but I mean, it's the climbing hard, it's the trying hard, it's the crimping hard, it's the twisting your hands and you the know, cracks hard. Even just like going out and trad climbing, like doing even moderates in Eldo, it's the rope work, right? Oh, right. Just the rope work. Pulling the ropes, yeah. all that stuff. That's true. That works my joints really bad. Yeah, that's it, true. Like bouldering in the gym is probably less destructive to my music right. than just easy trad climbing. Right. Because of um, the rope work. Yeah. Because yeah, I works. I mean, it works me too. Yeah. You forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, coiling the ropes, pulling yeah. the ropes, jamming cracks. I've had so many injuries, like nagging injuries, mm-hmm. um, like shoulder problems and thumb problems and as a result of like trying to play music at a high level. And I think the climbing definitely didn't help. I mean, you know, you look at my knuckles and you see they're all flared out from years of climbing. I mean, I'm not going to stop. Right. <laughs> I just, I, I've, I've, I've definitely feel like I've learned to balance the two, but it's always like a friend of mine is named Smith Curry and he's a Nashville session musician, but he's also a climber. He was he's on more- your podcast. Yeah, he was yeah, on the podcast. He's more of a he's more of an alpinist <laughs> than a rock climber. Right. But he's a pro musician, you know, and he he summed it up well. It's like it's kind of hard to surf two masters, you know. Like it's hard to do both really well. And I mean, I I'm in no danger of doing climbing really well right now. But um you still like to push your limits, right? It's still fun to see what you can do. It's a challenge. My dream has been to like go on the road and like do all these routes that I've dreamt of doing for years that I never did. And then I'll get it out of my system. Uh-huh. And I'll just be like, I'm good. Uh-huh. But I, I can't get there, you know? Right. Like, I see, like, Mark Houdon. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he did all the routes that I want to do, right? Like, Venturi Effect and, like, right. Moonlight Buttress right. and um, Tag Your Time. You know, like, these are the routes that I dream about at night, you know? And then I just think, oh, if I do those routes, then I'll just be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm in no... I'm in no shape to do those routes at the moment, and who knows? I might not ever be right that fit again. But well, yeah, because it just takes those sacrifices. It takes a lot yeah. of sacrifices. So I have a question um, that I have actually been wanting to ask all night before the mics were on, and it's confused me a little bit. But you guys moved here to um, to Boulder two years ago. We you, did, yeah. And I was just wondering what the deal was. Why that. did we move here? Yeah. Like, um, why? Because, like, again, I was like, man, this guy, man, he's like this North Carolina dude. There's he's, not a short answer to right? that. I mean, <laughs> does it have it, anything to do with the, the subject like, at hand? No, not really. Okay. It, I mean, I would say that she wanted to move here more right. than I did. But we we lived in a house in North Carolina that we couldn't walk to anything. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, we couldn't walk around our neighborhood. There's just nowhere to walk. So that was a bummer. We didn't like that. And we wanted to try to move into Asheville where we could walk to more things. That didn't work out. And so Melissa, my wife, is a really, uh, she's really avid trail runner or just runner in general. She's like super into running. We came out here. We were like, well, where could we maybe move to? And so there had to be climbing. So we're like, all right, maybe Chattanooga, you know, maybe Seattle, maybe wherever, maybe Boulder. Because we knew people here. And so we came out the summer of 2019, because I have some friends who live out here. And uh, Melissa was just like, I love it. And I was like, 
I could maybe get into it, you know? Like, I went bouldering at Flagstaff. You know, there's no approach at all. You know, I was like, this is cool. And so, like, we thought about it, and we just decided to go for it. And I was kind of, like, over the music scene in Nashville. Um, Not that there wasn't anything left for me to do, but I was just kind of like, like I said, I'm super burnt out um, on gigging. I don't ever want to play. I could play a wedding gig now. (laughs) But it's been like four years, you know, like it took four years off to like, or three, three-ish, something like that. Like super burnt. Yeah, I've played, you know, like you're in a bluegrass band and you go play like, you could be in the most ripping bluegrass band ever, like just shredding. And you go play a wedding. To the land of the pine. Yes, exactly. You know exactly what I was going to say. Yes. (laughs) That's all they want to hear, right? You know, you're just like, oh, this is my life. This is what I signed up for. This is not what I want to be doing with my time. Like right when I was about to leave Asheville, I got hooked up with this guy who was like, he was going to go all in on the wedding scene. And you can make good money. Right, right. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. It's same here. I played like Obama's weddings. Obama's advisor, wet like her wedding. It was uh, a freaking million dollar wedding. I shit right, you not. Right, like you can make good money, but nobody cares about what you're doing. <laughs> they just don't. They don't care. You could be amazing. You could suck. They don't care. You know, and and I just got so over it. It's know? sort of the guiding of of musicianship. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You can climb 513, but you're not. You're <laughs> yeah. climbing 58, bro. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I was kind of over like the music scene in Nashville. I just didn't I didn't know what I was going to do mm-hmm. and I never thought I'd live in Boulder. I it was never like my dream to move to Boulder or mm-hmm. whatever, but I mean, I I dig it, you know. I've been here during the pandemic. It hasn't been, you know, the best time to be anywhere. Right, right. You guys just got in right before that. Yep, literally yeah. a few months, and yeah. then it like crashed down. Right, right. So it's been hard to meet climbing partners. Right. You know, I'm lucky that I had any. If you live in Boulder, you want to climb? Hit me up. <laughs> I need I need partners. I'm unemployed. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm recently healed from all my injuries. So yeah. Is your so. prospect pretty good for for climbing? I mean, we'll see. I'm, I Once know. you get that classical piece done, I know. Yeah, it's close. It's real. It's very close. So what does that we'll finish with that? Like, what does what does finishing it mean? Do you send it? Once? I want to make you a send video. it once without blowing it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll call <laughs> Is that it just like a V four. Yeah, totally. like a V fifteen. Exactly. exactly. You, you send it once and you never look exactly. at it again. Exactly. Yes, I want to record a video of me doing it, and I might even release it if it's any good. Mm-hmm. If I can like really nail it, you know, and uh, maybe upload it, and then I'll be good with it. I mean, it's hard. It's really. It's very. It's pushing me. Yeah, I have to like really I'm having to find new levels of technique and to like really nail it, you know. Right. I've played it half ass for years. Right. You know. I've two hung it yeah, you've <laughs> for dabbed. years. You know? dabbed a few times. Yeah. But to like really <laughs> send it, you know, it's it's a new it's another level. It's like Donwa. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean I mean I've appreciated that you've you've contributed to the run out. You've put music on there. We'll put some music on this podcast as well. Yeah, um, we didn't mention that, but yeah, I mean, I'm, you've probably heard my music on like Dirtbag Diaries. He was, Fitz has been using my music since the beginning. Right on. Like I met Fitz when he started it in right. Seattle and we climbed a bit. I was like, oh, you can have some of my music. Oh, that's it was cool. Like the first stuff that I had. And he's still using the same music. 
<laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, and, like, Big Up used some stuff back in the day. and The um, Don Wall's got a... Don Wall has a song. Renan Ostark used some stuff, and James Q. Martin used some stuff, and, like, some random videos that they've done, you know. like I haven't been very prolific in my output, so I haven't, you know... If I put out more, I might, like, say, hey, you can keep using it. Right. I don't know. At this point, I'm kind of inclined to just not offer it up because I used to say, hey, I got some new music. You can use it. Go ahead. Now I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Right. If they want it, they'll, they can get in touch with me. Somebody needs to dump you again. Actually, I have more than enough music ready to record. <laughs> I, I, I need to finish this this Bach piece so I can, like, move on with my life because I have, like, multiple albums already written that I can record right now. The music is there. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Chum for doing that and uh, lending me all that music and also contributing elsewhere on my other podcasts. All this time, finally got to meet him. Hopefully we're going to go climbing together soon as well. And once again, Chum-DM3 over there at Spotify is a good place to start. Check out his album, Nice Impressions, climbing-inspired work on there. Plus, among all the other great music is this soundtrack that he did for this climbing movie that I'd never even heard of that's amazing, called Brave New Wild. So the film also is cool, and his soundtrack is super cool. So go check out his soundtrack, but also look for the film. It's over on Vimeo. It's by a woman named Oakley Anderson Moore called Brave New Wild Climbing Film. Really cool. I don't know how I missed it. Maybe you did too. Finally, chum underscore DM3 over there at Instagram. Okay, we're going to go out on one more full track. This is Chum's latest recording. It's called Full Nelson. It's a tribute to Paul Nelson, Fayetteville, West Virginia climber who passed away very suddenly this year in his sleep of natural causes was a shocking blow to the community there. Chum admired him. He was a great musician himself, an incredible jazz musician. And this is Chum's tribute to the late, great Paul Nelson, titled Full Nelson. And of course, check your knots. (laughs) 